Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. It's something we do not talk enough about. Every week, I have on cool people from the crypto industry to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. All right, I'm here with Kinjal Shaw. Kinjal, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chase. So you are an investor at Blockchain Capital, and you also just helped launch Como Rebi Collective, which I'm super excited about. Do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole, and some of the things that you're working on and thinking about? Yeah, definitely. I joined the space about four years ago when I was working at Fidelity Investments in Boston. And there's, there's quite the cohort of crypto folks coming out of Fidelity, but at the time, it was still relatively... Uh, new. And so I was put on a project that looked at the broader blockchain ecosystem and, and tried to figure out which use cases should be prioritized. And that's when I really started going deep and fell kind of just in love with the ecosystem. I think at the time, I really just felt like this was the future of finance. But today, I think it's the future of much, much more. So I was really compelled by that sort of vision, felt like there was something here. And so I decided to go full time into the space. And that's when I decided to join Blockchain Capital. We are a venture fund dedicated to the space in particular, and we've been around now for eight or nine years. So one of the first venture funds that's um, really been dedicated to the industry. And over time, we started out investing in what I would say are the picks and shovels and some of the onboarding tools that we've had for users. But I think we're getting more into a phase where we've seen a lot of infrastructure get built out. It's going to continue to get built out. And now it's more about you know front-end applications and consumer adoption and sort of the mainstreamification. So I'm really excited about what's coming ahead. And I also, as you mentioned, was one of the co-founders of, or am one of the co-founders of Comorabi Collective. It's a DAO that's focused on investing in female founders, female and non-binary founders in crypto, which is really just not a crypto-only problem. It's a broader tech problem, but we really want to see more venture dollars or funding in general go to women and, and um, you know, other underrepresented founders. So really excited about that. And then I think just generally in this space, like I've been really sort of meditating on what the next five years would look like from a consumer perspective and how um, that might evolve now that we have a lot of the pieces coming together. Yeah, I'm curious what you're most interested in and like what you're thinking the most about from a consumer perspective. Yeah, so... I guess like I would bucket it right now into like into two categories. So the first is we had this like crazy NFT surge earlier this year. Things have calmed down a little bit. And I think the biggest question to answer there that I'm, I'm really excited about is once you've enabled a consumer to buy an NFT, to potentially trade that NFT, the question then becomes, what do you do with it? And so it's kind of like this idea of the metaverse or the idea that potentially NFTs can unlock experiences or that they're a way into a particular community. So I think that is what I think what's really unexplored and we're seeing a lot of experimentation there. So I'm really excited about that. And then on the other side of things related, but you know, slightly different is the DAO landscape. So I've been spending a lot of time thinking about DAOs as a way to organize communities and self-coordinate, but also what it potentially does for launching a social product or launching a freelancer collective or launching an investment collective, whatever that might look like. And I think it's going to really kind of reshape what some of these structures look like. So 
very excited about DAOs and been doing a lot of thinking there. Yeah, I'm curious if you think that DAOs will be like mainstream in the way that it feels like NFTs have sort of gone mainstream anytime soon. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if DAOs are going to be mainstream in the way that NFTs are. I think what's interesting about um, the DAO space is that it's it's very much like an opt-in community, right? Where like if you want to participate in a particular DAO, you kind of get what you put in. And so it feels very much like we're going to have thousands of smaller communities. And so maybe that becomes mainstream, but I'm not sure we're going to see like the same way we saw some of these NFTs get sold for millions of dollars and get a lot of like non-crypto users ready to buy an NFT right away. I think the onboarding onto a DAO is a little more challenging because you're it's really about something that takes a longer period of time where you potentially put in some work or like social capital and kind of go from there. Yeah, it definitely feels like DAOs are more crypto native, maybe like even by design because they're so much more complex. I don't know if that's fair to say, but NFTs are a little bit more like you can point to it. It exists. That's it. Whereas a DAO is like an entire system. So maybe less easy for people who aren't super crypto native. Do you think that's like a fair assessment? Yeah, over time, like it'll, it'll get easier to join DAOs or there's going to be lightweight DAOs versus, you know, like super intense ones. I mean, you, of course you can just also just think about like a lot of the assets in the DeFi space are run by DAOs and there it's really just about participating in governance. So and holding the token and sort of voicing your opinion through that construct. So I think there's just going to be so many different flavors, which is great because we're not going to have this, this standardization that I think the market is like pushing back on where like DAOs can't be, can't be bucketed into like any one thing, but I agree right now they're crypto native and hopefully over time, they'll be a little bit more accessible. Yeah. I'm curious how you think about accessibility in general. I've been thinking a lot about, the barrier to entry for getting involved, particularly now that it feels like tokenized communities and DAOs are becoming this like very prominent part of Web3. And like a lot of these communities are not easy to join, like whether it's Board Ape Yacht Club or like FWB, like there's certainly communities that are more open, but it feels like a lot of the really interesting experiments are also happening in these like closed tokenized communities. I'm curious, like, how you think about accessibility in that context. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, again, I think we're going to see, like, it's a spectrum. So we'll, def- we'll definitely see some DAOs that are super broad, right, where it's like you purchase the token and you're in. Um, and then others where there's, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, there's, like, a little bit more of this barrier to entry. And I think it's by design in some cases. So... DAOs, again, they stand for decentralized autonomous organizations. The word decentralized is really what we're talking about here when it comes to accessibility. And in theory, the, the, the DAO world, anybody can access if they ha- have internet connection and the ability to purchase some tokens, right? Usually tokens is the way that you signal that you're in a DAO. When in reality right now, as, as folks are trying to figure out how to scale this or how to do different experiments, there's only so many people that can kind of be involved, I think, at like an MVP level. And so that's where we're starting to see some of this like backdoor, closed door type of smaller DAOs that I think in theory would like to evolve into something that anyone and everyone can 
join, but I'm not sure like this concept of like, how do we scale socially has really been solved. And I'm not even sure if it will be solved anytime soon. Um, so that's kind of how I think about accessibility. And then I think the, the next question is, is that in general, I found most DAOs, as long as people are willing to con like contribute and kind of go above and beyond saying like, how can I help? And also like, here is me actively contributing and showing a track record. This idea is starting to form of how can we create like some on-chain reputation or some sort of scoring that says like, hey, this person is like, really going to help build this community versus this is somebody who just kind of likes to be a little bit more in the background. Both are fine, but I think that that'll start to play a role into like how accessible certain gals are. Yeah. Do you think that on the identity piece, like in, there will be a world where everyone is working for a DAO. And so everyone actually has this like on chain sort of reputation. Like, do you think that's, that's actually like a feasible future? I'm not sure it's going to be so black or white. So I guess the way I think about it is an analogy to how we work today. Um, you know, back in the day, 50 years ago, the way that you had some sort of career reputation was really your resume, right? Your resume would kind of list out all the different things that you've accomplished in your lifetime. And potentially there are small circles of, of people who can sort of speak to your character or your um, work ethic or what, what that might look like. You fast forward to the internet and now we've got LinkedIn, but we also have people building an entirely online portfolio where you've got Twitter and you have a blog and you have all these different ways so people can kind of piece together like who you are as a person, how you think, um, who you represent, even before you've even like come and worked with them. Um, and that's really important. That's a huge shift because basically you're building an online persona for yourself and you kind of get to craft that and do it in a way that's publicly accessible to pretty much anyone. And so to me, I, I think careers have been shifting into some sort of portfolio versus saying like, I'm going to work at one company for 25 years, right? Now people have side hustles, they have side projects, they, they do volunteering, they are Twitter influencers, and they have a full-time job. Like people have an entire portfolio that says, hey, this is who I am. And so when I think about like governance and DAOs and people working for DAOs, it starts to think it starts to become like, okay, could you create some sort of portfolio of work working for DAOs where you're kind of like a freelancer and you're contributing to different projects and you build this on-chain reputation in the web three world. So people can look at your um, data and say, oh, hey, like this person has contributed to like these three huge initiatives, or it's very clear, like they know what they're doing when it comes to the lending space or whatever it may be. So I would imagine that that's kind of the next iteration of how we, we build this like on online persona is being able to see everything on chain and, and kind of develop that over time. And that'll be like an evolution that will take quite some time. So I'm not saying that everyone's going to work for a DAO in the future, but it's more and more likely to be like a path people can choose because I think flexibility and having a portfolio of different career prospects is, is something that people crave, right? Kind of customize and DIY your own career. I like that DIY your own career. It does actually, and I guess in some ways, like if that is the future, it does actually feel like that's more accessible. Like I think often in crypto, we talk about accessibility in a way that's like not actually accessibility in practice, but I think that there might be a world where like, if what you're talking about actually happens, maybe that is more accessible for people because no longer are you dependent on your direct network, which I think can sort of become a 
boys club, rich get richer type issue. But it actually is about like the work that you're doing. And of course, still, that's like, there's an amount of extra time that you would need to have to build up that portfolio. But from that perspective, I guess accessibility is actually probably much easier to to sort of like see playing out than in like the traditional world of getting a job and needing to know people and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I'm so with you. Yeah. So in this landscape where like everyone has the opportunity at least to build up this like portfolio of work and contribute to a DAO, I'm curious how you think about value creation in these types of organizations. It's something that we're watching play out in real time where DAOs are trying to either build products or invest. So I'm curious how you think about like value creation within these different organizations. Uh, Yeah. So I think it might, maybe I'll start a little bit broader and then try to zoom in on like on an example in particular. If we think about all the social platforms that we have today and just the internet more broadly, I think the internet has value because of the network effects, right? And the network effects are generated when every each additional user brings on another user, but more importantly, contributes content, right? We've been in this age of like user-generated content for the past 10, 15 years. And I think the way that a lot of these DAOs are thinking about user-generated content is more around monetization of that content rather than simply putting it forward for free. So when I think about value creation, I think about how do we have these like mini economies? And I, and I talked about this a little bit in one of the pieces that I was writing with Cooper, where it's like, we're going to start seeing these communities where everyone has a piece of the pie from day one, if you join the community, you get another piece of the pie, right? That's usually through some sort of token like vehicle. We have to be careful. Tokens are not exactly equity, but still they are a way to represent ownership of this particular community. And then when you contribute to it, you're basically saying, I'm going to see, I'm going to help the, the value of this entire community go up and therefore we'll all benefit. And there are certain incentives that are put in there. So I, when I think of value creation and capture, I think it, it's doing a lot of the things that we have today, right? Like influencers who provide entertainment, influencers who provide tips on like how to do something. Those folks who are launching products, launching merch, launching just like online humor, whatever it may be. I think there's just, this is just a way to like organize and a way to then hopefully equitably distribute the value. But the products are, are still kind of going towards the same thing. It's, it's just now like, how do we think about Um, distributing that that back to the community. So community is what makes this valuable. And I think the strength of the community will generate value. I hope that makes sense. I'll pause. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And I like the model of thinking about it as like in web two, it's content and people don't own it, but that's like the shift towards web three. And I think this is kind of where you're like going, but I definitely want to dive into this concept of micro economies and what that actually looks like. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, we recently, I recently wrote this, co-wrote this piece with Cooper Turley about the rise of microeconomies. And, you know, there's this very popular concept um, from the mid 2000s or, or early 2000s where the internet enables a thousand true fans. Um, and that thousand true fans can kind of create a sustainable income or sustainable business for any one individual. And, you know, Legion has done a lot of work on this, but many argue that now you might only need a hundred true fans, right? I think the fan experience, people 
feel a lot of attachment towards a given cause or a mission or an individual or whatever that may be. And so we're starting to see these um, smaller communities scale when it comes to like value creation, but maybe not in terms of the number of individuals involved. Um, and so microeconomy, the idea of a microeconomy is basically saying, you know, we take in some inputs, we have some people who are contributing here and we put out something, we're putting out content or a product or whatever that may, that may be. We're kind of creating this like living and breathing economy that is governed by a token, right? And the token provides the rules that we kind of live by um, on a blockchain and they also provide this mechanism for value. So it's instead of saying we're going to be organizing around you know, geography or an LLC, we're basically saying we're going to be like a digital state or like a digital city and we're going to organize accordingly. So kind of a meta concept, but I think we're starting to see it play out in real time um, with a lot of these communities that are that are running themselves as DAOs. And the, the kind of amazing thing here is Anybody around the world can participate in these micro in these micro economies, and and maybe it does become somewhat defined by geography in some instances, or somewhat defined by you know what particular blockchain you're issued on, or whatever that may be. But I think the the um, the concept is great because it it creates it creates like a way for people to create a generate a living online and. Um, you know, I think we're going to start to see more and more of this happen because, you know, I think the future is, is, um, is digital. Yeah. And you're talking that, that piece also about this like creator middle class that then emerges. Can you like walk through what that might actually end up looking like and like who those people are potentially? Yeah. So I, you know, there's this idea of wanting to become like a YouTube influencer or some sort of influencer reality is that, you know, 1% of anyone creating content online gets to that point. And so I think of the creator middle class as future mom and pop shops of the internet. Um, and some of these really niche communities are what make the internet so fun. Um, and so we're starting to see this evolution of maybe I don't need to be a, an influencer with millions of followers. Like, Maybe I just need like a really passionate small following on TikTok or whatever to launch my to launch my small business. And I be, basically become a small business. Um, so I think this like long tail of creators is going to be a much more viable path moving forward because we now have a way to like earn income, capture value that importantly, I don't think is dependent on advertising. And so this is something we didn't talk about a ton in that post, but I think like a huge shift is that. Sure, there will still be advertising for, as a part of the model, 100%. But I also think there's going to be other ways to generate like a recurring revenue stream or to earn income via, via a token and, and kind of see that token appreciate. So it's really just this idea of how do we enable the long tail of, of communities online. Yeah. And on that front, I'm curious like what you're thinking about from this sort of like value of the token perspective. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, but there's definitely some interesting experiences that are being sort of like crafted right now around like NFTs and holding tokens. I think an interesting example of that is like FWB starting to play around and experiment with bringing like on-chain assets and your token holdings to be like, oh, you can get into this event or whatever. Beyond that, I'm curious how you think about or what you're watching even from the perspective of like recurring revenue and making holding a token valuable for people within those communities. 
Yeah, so I think this is the piece that is most um, up in the air right now and being actively experimented upon. But a couple of examples and ideas that I have. So a lot of these tokens are really being used to govern a community. And the, the price of that token is really going to be determined by the, the market, right? By like the supply and demand for that particular market. And so to me, I think of a really strong community and a really strong um, token implies that people care, right? That they're governing something that's worth caring about. So, you know, the largest DAOs today that we've seen are in the DeFi world, and, and now they have billions of dollars in their treasuries. And that is something to govern, right? Like they have now these, this like crazy treasury, these amazing products that they're launching. And the entire community is kind of rallied around, like figuring out what governance looks like there. And then I think when you think about some of these smaller DAOs, like maybe with FWB, for example, they've, they've created such an interesting community of people who have varied interests and they do different clubs and activities and they have speaker series. Like I think being a part of that community, you get a lot of value out of it. And so there's something to govern there. So I guess my point being is that many of these tokens right now are for governance, but the, the most critical piece is having something that's there to govern and that all of your community members feel conviction in. And I think that's going to help the value of that token appreciate and just sort of see that the, the price in the market is being valued accordingly. Of course, that's, that's, that's maybe more of like a, a dreamier view. And the other view is like, we're going to have products that are launched by these DAOs that generate revenue via fees or subscription models, or maybe they're um, potentially doing some sort of investment collective and then they're earning yield on some of the assets that they hold, like whatever that, or, you know, charging a fee for investing in other people's things, like investing other people's assets, rather. I think there's just like so many different ways this could go. It's really just a matter of having, creating something. Yeah. On this note of like governing, it feels like there's this difference between governing and building. And that's something that I've been thinking about partially because of the post from Kane on synthetics, this idea that like, I'm not sure if you saw that, but the, this idea that like governing and building product or creating value sort of require two different processes. Like governing very much is something that can be more decentralized, doesn't necessarily need a leader that's the hypothesis anyways, but then building product actually potentially requires a lot more leadership. I'm curious if you have a take on like the difference in those processes and if communities should be differentiating between people who are helping in the governance process versus people who are helping build product or create value or source investments, stuff like that. Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, it's a really interesting idea. And I think I, maybe I would offer a slightly different framework of what items or what questions are going to affect the financial health of a DAO versus like the social health of a DAO. So I think like building products is very much aligned with the financial health of the DAO, right? Like many of these DAOs are, are, are started to, to create this like amazing vision and, and the products around it versus the social health is really more about building that community and having users participate in, in what you're building. So I don't think you can necessarily separate them out. I think there's probably some product level decisions that can be made at the governance level. And then there's some product level decisions that should be delegated to a potentially smaller team that's getting paid to work on um, product full time. But I think like ultimately it's like a, it's like a little bit of a, a, a funnel or like a hierarchy where 
like everything is governance, but not everyone should be deciding everything in governance. It's really just like, how do we get to the most important decisions and who are the right people to make those decisions? And then let's make sure we're getting them there. Um, just cause like that's, that's really the difference between a DAO and like a company, right? Like to me, governance is like really about how you run something. And so doing it in a way that's not super centralized is going to be important, even when you're building that product. But yeah, I, I just want to put the disclaimer out there also that like, I am not building a massive DAO, right? So like, I'm really just speaking from my observations of the market. And I think there's still a lot, lot to be determined. Yeah, it seems like there's definitely a lot of experimentation. And also people seem to be pointing towards traditional corporate governance as a potential framework to think about some of these things. Do you think it's fair to be pulling from examples like that? Or do you think we should be like, do you think we're just reinventing the wheel? Or do you think it's actually something where we are truly facing new challenges that DAOs bring into the, you know, picture? I think it's a little bit of both. It's not so much reinventing the wheel, but maybe saying like, what if this wheel was built with different materials? <laughs> like, Maybe we're still trying to build some sort of wheel, but we're just kind of going about it in a different manner. And, then, and therefore it's going to end up looking differently to kind of extend that analogy. So I don't think it's a, it's necessarily a bad thing to go and look at corporate frameworks and say like, how, did, how does this work? I think that having some level of delegation and hierarchy within DAOs is a little bit um, to be expected just as these things scale. But at the end of the day, like this vision that to do things to, to almost like kickstart better network effects and a better flywheel, like having everyone have skin in the game is going to lead to better results. And I still believe that that is fundamentally a shift from, uh, you know, most of our corporations today. And so it's really just about like, how do we still deliver the same results? Yeah, it definitely feels like ownership is one of the biggest shifts. And I think it will be interesting to see how that scales because you know, I think people to feel a sense of ownership, there's sort of like a few things that feel like need to be conditions that are met for people. It will be interesting to see how all of that ends up scaling. I'm curious how you think about a lot of these issues when it comes to different verticals. Like, do you think that DeFi DAOs will sort of end up having like a set of best practices that will be different from like, let's say, social token communities? Do you think that will end up being different across these different verticals? Yeah, I think so. And I and I kind of hope so, too. I think like all of these different DAOs, like whether you're talking about a social token or a DeFi community, like I think they have different objectives. And so I think there might be some standardization, but by and large, like we are in a, in a phase of experimentation that I think will continue for many years to come. And that's, I think, what's most like to me, at least it's super exciting because we don't even know what's what's coming. And that's like kind of gives you like goosebumps. It's exciting. So we're figuring it out as we go. That is yeah, that exactly is for sure. It feels like we're definitely in the experimentation phase of a lot of things, which maybe this is not fair, but I feel like that's kind of how NFTs were like several years ago where we were like, oh, we can do these cool things and these cool things. What do you think the time horizon is going to be for DAOs to really like get a lot of adoption in the ways that I think 
generally seem to be what people assume will happen. We're like, you can totally freelance and opt into DAOs. And that's something that's not just like this weird niche crypto thing, but it's actually much more open to a lot of different people. Like, do you have an idea or a thought or a prediction maybe on what that time horizon might look like? Yeah, I guess, I guess what I would say is I think a lot of these things tend to follow some sort of hype curve and then things slow down for a little bit a lot of infrastructure gets built out and then they fall they kind of go back up again and it's it's probably going to differ across like different types of DAOs so just to give you an example I would say a lot of DeFi DAOs have reached a level of maturity that I'm not sure I would have expected back in 2018 it's just been like absolute monster growth and super impressive and so I would say that those DAOs have achieved scale. Many of those DAOs are talking about like the Aves and the Uniswaps of the world. And then I, th- I would say like an area that's still relatively um, smaller is the social token landscape. But I'm really excited about social tokens. And I would say that that's potentially the next like breakout category in the next year or two. And I would argue that it's already kind of, it's already kind of on its way there, but like even more so. So I think it's really more about like sequentially, how do we get there? And then the second piece I would just say is like, same thing with NFTs. I think the entire market had this like aha moment this year. They were like, oh my gosh, NFTs are a great tool. Like this is all the different things that we can do with it. We had prices skyrocket. They came down significantly. And now there's a lot of people in the background working on infrastructure to like help NFTs get to the next level. And I would imagine the next few years are where we're going to see like, you know, us move forward the next couple of miles. So I don't have any specific, specific timelines in, in mind. I just really tend to think about all of this as like a, a long game and like we're reaching different milestones as we go along here. And I think like for DAOs in, in some instances, we're already there or we're close to there. In some instances, we're very early. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And when it comes to the infrastructure piece, what do you think is going to be like the killer infrastructure that sort of needs to exist? Maybe it's different across different verticals, but do you have like a an idea of what you think is going to unlock some of that value? Yeah, so I wish I knew the answer to this. Uh, I definitely, I definitely don't know exactly the answer, but I guess I would say a couple of pieces that I'm really excited about are on the DAO side, we're seeing a lot of great tooling around treasury management or governance or so on and so forth. And I think like the big missing piece for me is like a, a DIY DAO, like just go in, I'm going to, I'm going to start a DAO in like five or 10 minutes. I'm going to have my entire stack integrated. I'm going to be able to use like a bundle of tools and services to do it. And it doesn't have to be like all built into like one vertical stack, but just, you know, like when you think about like, what is the UI for a DAO? Your answer could be, well, the UI is a Discord or the UI is Telegram or the UI is a combination of using like snapshot discourse and like so on and so forth. So I just don't feel like there's like a home yet for where all of these DAOs are going to live. And it's potential that you could say that they're going to live in in some of the areas that I just mentioned. But I think that that's something that'll change the way we think about DAOs is just like having like an online home that's a little more like consolidated. So that's like one thing that I think would be cool. And then I think on the NFT side, there's still like a lot to be done for like showcasing your DAOs or being able to like easily kind of have like a a wallet that's like super accessible. I I know that there are folks building in all of these things that I'm talking about today. I just think that 
there's still more infrastructure to come. And then also like more on the back end of like, who's hosting this NFT or like, where does it live or who owns the IP or what does like the price history look like? How do we appraise it? Like all of these things are, are pieces that are missing today. And I think in a couple of years will look very different. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And one thing that I am super interested to hear your thoughts on is when it comes to a lot of these tools, it feels like there are sort of two like camps of people. Some people who think a lot of these need to be crypto native and people need to come into the ecosystem and like get acquainted with what a wallet is and what it means to store your private keys and like maybe hopping around different platforms that feel more crypto native. So that's like one thought. And then the other sort of side of it is like, no, actually, we need to make these things super easy. We need to make these experiences sort of abstracting away a lot of like the crypto, the confusing crypto stuff. What do you think the these tools should be like actually built out as? Do you think that they should be much more crypto native or do you think that they should be abstracting away some of the, the crypto pieces and making it easier and looking more like Web2? It's a great question. And I think that there's, there's so many valid like points of view here. What I would just say that I've, and I've heard this from, you know, a few different founders in the space is that, and I kind of tend to think this is true of like picking one path and then kind of doubling down on it. So for example, when I think of like the web two experience, I think it's all about like making sure you don't use a lot of language that's confusing, being able to purchase things with your credit card, potentially like a much more centralized backend, things of that nature. And I think that you'll probably reach a different audience that way. And really then it's like, okay, do you have like the most compelling product or the most compelling experience so that anybody's going to want to come do it? So that's like the first piece. And then I think what's cool about like the Web3 approach is that Maybe your maybe your product is a little bit clunkier. Maybe you're doing more experimentation. Maybe you're asking your user to jump through a little bit more hoops. But you're more likely, I think, to get a user who's like willing and and excited to appreciate like the nuances of what you're building in crypto and like what it could potentially enable. So I guess I'll give you two like two examples here. I would consider Mirror, which is a publishing platform, as building with a Web three focus. Um, and I love what they're doing because they just keep keep kind of experimenting with like, hey, do you want to like NF? Do you want to create this essay and, and then auction it off, or do you want to like create a media uh, DAO? Do you want to be able to tip somebody who wrote this essay and tip them in ETH or tip them in whatever like asset? I think mean, all of this experimentation is incredible, but I, I can see how that might be challenging for someone who's not like Web three native. Um, but again, I think that their point is like, we want to push the envelope on the Web3 side and kind of explore what we can do and then figure out how to scale that to the masses later. Whereas the other approach is like, not to say that this company is is like Web2 only, but like Nifty Gateway has created a lot of great onboarding for them because they do credit card purchases for NFTs. And I think I've heard from a lot of folks where it's like, this is going to be the easiest way for us to get a non-crypto native audience and they don't have to install a wallet. So both approaches, I think, are really valid, but it's just important to knowing like which one you're choosing and why. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think that's a good framework to think about it because I've seen a lot of these debates happen on Twitter and it's like everyone has a different approach. Everyone's building for different audiences, but making it sort of like, okay, this is my audience. I'm going to build for them and maximize for their experience totally makes sense. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see how all of that evolves. Where can people find you and learn more about what you're doing and also Komarabi Collective? Yeah. 
so you can find me on Twitter. My handle is underscore Kindle B Shaw. Um, and I'm also on blockchaincapital.com or at Cobra Fund on Twitter. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was awesome to chat with you. Thanks so much, Chase. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts that I like, but it's actually really useful. Also, please hit me up on Twitter if anything resonated with you. I'm at Chaser Chapman. Tweet at me. Let me know what you think. And also let me know if there's anyone you think I should have on the show. Thanks again for listening.